Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, and I invite you to stand as you are able and honor the Lord's Word. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. You may be seated. I am thankful for Bonnie and the choir for our epiphany piece. We have finished officially the 12 days of Christmas. I don't know if you know that, but we finished on Friday, which is epiphany. And I hope you fully celebrated. I hope you left everything up until Friday. Uh, We We did. And it was great. And Friday was Epiphany, which commemorates the Magi visiting Jesus and the baptism of John. And then we move quickly from Epiphany to the baptism of Jesus. It's a quick transition to move from infancy to adulthood, but alas, the gospel writers don't give us much in the way of Jesus' adolescence. And so we arrive today at one of the more widely known passages in the gospels. And the last time I read this story, uh, I was in Israel. We were there in March. We went to the Holy Land. We stayed four nights in Galilee, five in Jerusalem. We toured all around the country, seeing sites like the Mount of the Beatitudes, where Jesus preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we saw Herod's Masada Fortress. We spent time, a little time in Tel Aviv, which is like a hip, young, beautiful, cool city. We walked the streets of Jerusalem, of ancient Jerusalem, a bustling, beautiful, ancient place. And if you've never been to Israel, it doesn't take very long to find out just how geographically diverse the state of Israel is. And at the northernmost point on the border of Lebanon and Syria, the temperature gets cold. And there's often a good mixture of wind and snow, not to mention cows grazing on minefields. And then you go south and you can find deserts and beautiful beaches. On the same day that there is 75 degree weather by the Dead Sea, it's 45 degrees and raining in Jerusalem. You move from fertile green to desert dust in a matter of seconds. And the state is, is very, very hilly. So you're, you're driving the landscape. You're, you're always either on a mountain, in a valley, or somewhere on the way to one of those. And it makes it easy for me to understand why there are so many battles between nations in the Old Testament in this region. As, as every couple of miles, there's another summit, another mountaintop that would have served as a strategic spot for one army against another. It's also why it takes a while to get places, because on a map, the very north to Jerusalem, it's about like Chattanooga to Atlanta, with Galilee kind of in the Cartersville area, if we're following 75. But because of the constant hills and valleys, it takes a lot longer than normal. And in the middle of the trip, we took a ride down into a valley to the Jordan River area. There are a lot of spots to stop, as the Jordan River is long, it follows the border of Israel and Jordan, But we stopped at a very low spot, and one that is, for lack of a better term, pretty touristy. Uh, That's that's one thing you notice everywhere. Everybody wants you to buy a couple of trinkets to take with you. 
And so, uh, but, and that's why I like Galilee as well. Galilee still kind of feels untouched, like, like preserved in some way. Uh, so we went down to the Jordan River and we stood on the banks and we remembered our baptism and we sang hymns and we read the story of Jesus' baptism that we just read today. And we read about John's efforts to prevent the baptism from happening for feelings of unworthiness. We read about the moment baptism and the heavens that opened up. We read about the Spirit of God descending as a dove and the voice booming from the heavens, this is my son in whom I'm well. Please, good, you're paying attention. Now, of the stories that we tell from Scripture, this tends, like I said, to be one of the ones we tell more often. And I think we do this a lot because it's the jumping off, it's the jumping off point for Jesus' ministry. Everything starts here. And we probably tell this story a lot because it's pretty straightforward. We like those kind of stories. But it does get a little tricky at one point because after all, the theology of baptism specific to this passage indicates a need for repentance. And it's been general Christian Orthodox belief that Jesus doesn't need repentance, right? So why does Jesus participate in this ritual? This has puzzled a lot of people for a long time. One writer, an early writer of a book called The Gospel of the Hebrews, this is one that didn't make it into the New Testament for a lot of reasons, but in that book, it deals with Jesus' baptism, and it says Jesus was baptized because Mary, his mom, made him do it. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good enough reason, although it does seem to mesh well with, with my experience of my own mother. And the wine shortage at the wedding. <laughs> Mary made him do it. And in getting people to church, I remember I I gave my mother every excuse in the book and still ended up in the second row at Northbrook United Methodist Church every Sunday. My dad was also the pastor. Maybe that had something to do with it. Another reason some give for Jesus' baptism is this. It was just part of the culture. You just did it. In the ruins of old Jewish villages in Israel, from Magdala to Qumran, there are these structures called mikvahs. Mikvahs are like oversized bathtubs, and you have steps down into them. They're ritual baths, they're baptism pools, and Jewish folks had to cleanse themselves for a number of reasons. And so here, the Jordan River seems to serve as one large mikvah. Perhaps Jesus was baptized because it was just part of the religious culture at the time. He was Jewish, so he did as Jews do. Of course, Jesus gives his own reason for his baptism in Matthew when he tells John, I did not come to identify myself with sinners, but rather to fulfill all righteousness. And I don't quite know what that means. <laughs> Other smarter people, hymn writer Lawrence Stuckey says that this means that Jesus is the one who completes the intention of God, who brings to perfection all that God has envisioned since creation. In other words, Jesus is participating in all things human and divine in order to bring restoration to all things human and divine. And all of these explanations are great. And I think there's truth in all of them. I still think, though, we're missing something, something that requires us to pull back and, and look not at the theology or the archaeology, but at the geography of the situation. I told you earlier that we descended to that spot at the Jordan River. And Jesus did the same. Everyone has to go down to the Jordan River. Jordan, after, after all, means to flow down or to descend. And not only does Jesus go down to the river, but I imagine he's immersed, and Jesus, having descended to the water, would proceed to lower himself below the surface of the water, as well as below all others present. And for me, that is the significance 
of Jesus' baptism. At his launching point for his ministry, Jesus outlines by action the very posture that will characterize the rest of his ministry, the rest of his life, a posture of descent and of lowering himself. In Jesus, God descends to us and then God lowers himself beneath us. Of course, this baptism occurs a few verses after Jesus' birth, the very descending of God to earth in the form of a child. And the Gospels will continue the story of the God-man who proceeds to consistently lower himself. This man is in the business of becoming less, that God might become more. You see it all over the place. When he sits with children, let them come to me, he says, for the kingdom belongs to these. He lowers himself when he kneels and washes the feet of his best friends. He lowers himself beneath his captors when he accepts the arrest and orders Peter to put away his sword. He lowers himself after he is raised up on a cross when he offers a prayer of forgiveness for his executioners. Jesus' whole life is a descent, and his whole ministry is a lowering of himself to our level, even lower, to show us what all of this is about. And his death on the cross would become not just a lowering of himself for a few, but for all humanity. And this whole ministry of lowering himself is launched from the Jordan River, all in an effort to point us to what baptism, what incorporation into this holy family is all about. Friends, our baptism means a lot of things. It is an outward, invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. It is part of our coming together into this communal family. It is a cleansing, but it is also a statement, a promise, a covenant For the rest of our lives, for when we are baptized, we follow the footsteps of Jesus the Christ who chose a life of descent, of lowering himself, and because we are baptized, because we are incorporated into Jesus Christ, we follow that same path, that same life of descending and lowering ourselves beneath all others and everyone who has been incorporated and baptized into this holy covenant is part of this lowering, of this descending, that is the call, that is the way of Jesus, lowering yourself, making yourself less. And this path is confirmed by Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he lowered himself. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and having descended and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross, he became one of us, in every way to be with us, and he lowered himself beneath us to show us the true way of life and love and abundance and mercy and grace. A few weeks ago, I shared in a graveside service for John Simpson. Many of you know John and Brenda. The two of them were married 53 years, I think, and they were part of this church in those later years, and they have Uh, A few kids and many grandkids, their in-laws joined our church last fall, the Scoggins. 
John was a good man. He was a quiet servant. He didn't want to be in the spotlight. He worked hard, and his family told me that he didn't want for much. In fact, he was one of those guys it was really hard to buy Christmas gifts for because he already had everything he wanted. And if his family was happy and taken care of, he was happy. He was the kind of person that if he saw a yard that needed mowing, he'd make sure and mow it. If he heard from somebody that a particular family needed help in a hard time of the year, an envelope of cash might appear in that family's mailbox. He was a good man, a quiet servant, and John is now in the embrace of the everlasting Father. As we arrived at the graveside, and many of you have probably experienced this, this is one of my first experiences. I noticed that there were soldiers present. John had served in the Air Force. And over his casket, there was draped what? The American flag. The small crowd of folks gathered in silence, and in the distance, three shots were fired into the air. An officer played taps, and two gentlemen in uniform began to fold the flag. Many of you have probably witnessed this. Once the flag was folded, one of the officers took that flag, knelt down below Brenda in front of where she was seated, and he handed it to her. And he said something to the effect of, on behalf of the President of the United States, the U.S. Armed Forces, and the people of the United States, we Hope that you will accept this flag as a token of our gratitude for your loved one's service. I stood there watching and I became emotional. I don't think you, you can be any other way in that moment. This moment was a celebration and an honoring of a man who was a servant who lowered himself beneath others. And in the midst of something so meaningful and beautiful, I was suddenly reminded of another who loved well, who knelt at the feet of his friends and loved ones, who lowered himself, who sacrificed much, and who said to the world on behalf of the God of all things, on behalf of the God of the entire universe and everything in it, I gift you this abundant life, this amazing grace, all to say that you are loved. Friends, our task is to simply know that and to make sure that our lives know it and show it. So to you who are baptized, I say this, you have been incorporated into a holy community whose very purpose is in the lowering of self beneath those around us. That is, that is what the baptism of our Lord means. That is what holy communion indicates, that our lives may be holy and living sacrifices all for the one who descended to us and made himself lower, that our lives might be abundant. Come, Holy Spirit, aid us to keep the vows we make. This very day, invade us in every bondage break. Come, give our lives direction, the gift we covet most, to share the resurrection that leads to Pentecost. Amen.